Today, I'm reminded of a story of a culinary disaster. It was when my eldest daughter was young, and I was looking for a meal that would appeal to the culinary sensibilities of a five-year-old. So I found a recipe for homemade mac and cheese. This one was made with freshly grated cheese, milk, and dry mustard, among other things. Well, when it was time to eat, we all sat down with hungry bellies and grateful hearts, and then we tasted it. I'm a fairly decent cook, but I have been known to fail on a gigantic scale from time to time. This was one such occasion. Our smiles turned quickly sour, and then we all laughed. It was that bad. <laughs> Apparently, a teaspoon got mixed up with a tablespoon. All we could taste was mustard. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't enter that recipe in the mac and cheese con contest at Trinity. But it just goes to show that some ingredients are potent. They can either uh, make or break a meal. They can make all the difference in the world. Today's gospel reading is about the call of Jesus. You see, Jesus has a recipe as well, and he's looking for the right ingredients, for disciples who make a difference for good, who reflect his image in the world. At the most basic level, of course, Christians are citizens of the heavenly commonwealth, called to bring the character and values of that kingdom out into the larger world. And Jesus uses two parallel images to illustrate this point. First, he describes his disciples as the salt of the earth. In the ancient world, salt was used for a wide variety of different things, uh, used as a preservative, a seasoning, a purifying agent, even as fertilizer. Salt keeps meat from rotting. It improves the taste of food. Any one of these could easily have served Jesus' purposes. But the point of the image lies in what is common to them all. Salt, by its very nature, makes a difference. Jesus says, if salt loses its potent, salty qualities, it can't accomplish its purpose. And so also with us. Disciples who do not reflect our identity as disciples cannot make a difference in the world. True salt, after all, doesn't spoil and true disciples will leave a taste of Jesus in the mouths of those they meet. The second image is light. The function of light, of course, is to scatter darkness, to illuminate the world for all to see. And the function of his disciples is to live lives that present an alternative to the deeds of darkness so common in our world, and to reflect our identity as his followers. But the image is also working on another level, as an allusion to the promise of blessing for all nations. Remember, God's people were always supposed to be a blessing to the whole world. As Isaiah wrote, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's light is manifested in and through the church in order to draw those who dwell in darkness into the light of life. 
And that's precisely how Jesus applies his salt and light saying. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Don't hide it under a bushel basket. Let it accomplish its purpose. Live as a disciple so that others give glory to God as a result. That is the vital role that is accomplished when Christians live as disciples. And we know from history that this is extremely effective when actually practiced. To use Isaiah's imagery from today's Old Testament reading, when you as Christians loose the bonds of injustice, when you let the oppressed go free, when you share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you clothe the naked, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your gloom be like the noonday. And the world will take notice. Unfortunately, this does not always happen, even among those who claim to follow Jesus. I love how G.K. Chesterton put it. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. But Jesus would not have it so. Rather, like salt and light, we are to live in such a way that the world will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, this high calling is certainly a daunting prospect. How do we do it? How do we let our light shine? Well, the answer comes in the second half of our passage. We are to follow the teaching of Jesus, to live lives based on his authoritative interpretation of the law. These verses, however, may have you scratching your head. Jesus states twice that he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets. He goes on to say that the entire law, down to the smallest part of a letter, will remain binding until the end of time. And then he says that entrance into the kingdom of God depends on a righteousness which far surpasses that of the religious experts of the day. Let's try to untangle that a bit. The main issue is how Jesus' teaching relates to the teaching of the Old Testament. And one question we should ask ourselves is why are these verses located right here just before Jesus' more detailed ethical teaching in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount? I think one reason is that this teaching is so radically different from the common interpretation of the day that Jesus needs to make it perfectly clear at the outset that his teaching is not in any sense a rejection of the Old Testament law in whole or in part. When he says not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, what he's referring to is the smallest letter of the alphabet. Iota in Greek or Yod in Hebrew and the little tiny stroke of a pen that makes the difference between two similarly looking letters. There's a story in the rabbinic tradition that makes use of the same phrase. It recalls a time when God changed Sarah's name. Remember he changed it from Sarai ending in Iota and an I to Sarah. Well that last letter that Yod that was removed from Sarah's name made such a fuss about being removed from scripture that God found, found a way to put it back in when he changed Hosea's name to Joshua 
a difference of just one letter, Yod. The point is that scripture is sacred and no part can be discarded, however small or seemingly unimportant. And I think Jesus is making a similar point. Far from denying the law, he is actually presenting its true meaning. In the rest of the sermon, the next three chapters, Jesus spells out his interpretation of the law, which is the substance of the light that should shine out in the world through our lives. Well, what about that last claim? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That certainly sounds an awful lot like works righteousness, like we earn God's favor by living a good life. But Jesus' point is that the scribes and Pharisees had fundamentally misunderstood the intent of the law. Our good works are not motivated by a desire to earn God's favor, but by gratitude for the favor God has already shown us in Christ. As a result, any attempt to live according to his teaching will arise out of a heart that has already been touched by God's grace and result in the greater righteousness that Jesus expects. To all his followers, past and present, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And this is not an aspiration, but a statement of who we are in Christ. For Jesus is the pure salt that makes a difference in the world, the true light which scatters darkness. It was because the light of the world experienced the darkness of the cross that we, whose lives were shrouded in darkness, might shine with his light in the world. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live then as children of light.